the beginning of this episode is admittedly goofy, but I just got a chuckle out of JR and I getting rolling here. So I hope you do too. Hello, Sal. Hi, JR. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, sir. How are you? Good. Is the uh, sound okay on your end? Yeah, it sounds great, actually. Okay, same here. Uh, so just, I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a one minute kind of intro to get us back on track here, and then I'll just roll right into it. I can clip this part out if we need to. But um, so we've had three conversations with Vadia, who's the CEO of Pillar, and now we're lucky enough to chat. With J.R. Butler, who is the CRO of Pillar, and I think uh, this will be an interesting com- conversation, especially on the heels of what we covered with Vadia. So, J.R., do you want to take a minute or two to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is J.R. Butler. I am a Chief Revenue Officer at Pillar. I've uh, been at the company. I'm on week 16 now, so uh, just wrapping up my fourth month. And I came from a background in, uh, this is my second uh, private startup. Prior to that, I worked at a, a reseller and I, and I grew up in, uh, in Massachusetts, but now I'm living in Arizona to be part of the Pillar team. So um, that's my background. Nice, man. The, so the interest of, of doing this is to be able to document some of the early days of Pillar. So Tell me about the first time that you met Vadia. Sure. Um, I actually was lucky enough to meet Vadia before the investors did. Uh, my old company, Turbonomic, moved me into a national role where I ran strategy and execution. And as part of my role, I was out on the West Coast a lot as we had partnerships with Cisco, Microsoft, and Amazon. Um, so I, moved, I happened to move out to Arizona across I was looking at five different places, but I, I did happen to pick Arizona for a lot of different reasons. And um, Jared and I were already working together to look for some companies. And he happened to find this company in Arizona. And, and basically, you know, he had had probably four or five phone conversations with Vadia, had dug a little bit deep into the technology, had gotten to the point where, you know, he believed it was worth worth the conversation and introduced Vadia and I over email. And we met, uh, we met down in Tempe at a coffee shop for the first time. Um, so really through Jared and I, I was the first one basically wanted to go, go and make sure this really smart guy was, was a human being and he was, and, and he was impressive right from the start. Tell me about where you were at career wise, like in your career trajectory where you wanted to explore an opportunity to do something different because like on paper, um, you know, being at Turbo and, and what you accomplished there. My guess is that you were, you know, making good money and, and happy and living kind of a hard charging uh, sales exec, you know, senior strategy guy lifestyle. So tell me about like what was going on for you personally, where you thought this was a good idea to explore. I had, I had, always really wanted to um, get into the driver's seat from a, from a sales perspective. So, you know, I've, I, Turbonomic was an incredible experience. I was there, you know, when it was less than a hundred employees and got to grow with the company. I started as a individual contributor, ran a small regional team and then, you know, half of North America. And then I got to, you know, work on strategic accounts and lead, lead a, 
an enterprise team. And then, as you mentioned, you know, taking strategy and execution. But, you know, that said, I was never um, I was never the top guy. Not that it's about being about the top guy, but I, I really wanted to be able to to affect things in a way where, you know, sometimes you have a tendency to make excuses for stuff if you're not the one driving the bus. And, you know, I, I, I always like to be accountable to things and, and really the opportunity to, to, to drive true, truly drive, you know, strategy and be the ultimate decision maker ha has always excited me. Um, in terms of, you know, leaving, I, I would say that I, I didn't run away from turbo. I, I, I kind of, I, I ran to this opportunity. It was, you know, I had a little bit of an epiphany selling unbudgeted enterprise software uh, for the last six years and, and really got excited about this specific space, which is low code, um, because I, I really sincerely believe that this is kind of the future that companies are going to start building software for the most part. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not unlike virtualization and um, other technology things that have and cloud things that have come across my desk where it was pretty clear to me that, that it made rational sense for enterprises to move this way. Um, so having the opportunity to be a leader in a, in a space that's going to, in my opinion, explode was, was something that I couldn't turn down. So from a career trajectory perspective, it was, it was kind of the rational next step for me was moving into a full leadership role, you know, truly owning sales and marketing and, and services and, and being that one throat to choke. That's something that really gets me excited. Um, and I've always loved building teams, you know, since I was 21 years old and coaching youth hockey, it's been something that really motivates me and gets me fired up. And now I get to really, truly uh, build from scratch, which is awesome. So that's, that's really what I'm most excited about. And that's really why I, I, I look for this, op this type of opportunity. Tell me about, uh, so you were the first boots on the ground to make sure that Vadia was a real human. Um, tell me about what that first meeting was like. And if, if that is too long ago, like give me some of the early interactions with Vadia and like what you guys talked about and what your early impressions were. One of the first things, one of the first conversations me and Vadia ever had was um, I asked him why he started the company. Um, and his answer was, was as soon as he answered, I, I knew that this was where I wanted to go, to be honest. I, I, I didn't tell him that, obviously. I needed to have some leverage. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, you know, when he told me his story about why he started the company and it was really very similar to the passion and belief that I've seen with great founders, specifically my founder at Turbonomic had a similar type of talk track where, you know, he had so much passion for the problem that we solved mainly because he he had dealt with the problem his entire career and for Vedia that was certainly the case so um the first interaction I had with him was my my very first question was why, why did you start this company and his answer was incredible which I, I you know I, I imagine you probably already talked through it with him so you know exactly what I'm talking about and 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 when somebody like him builds something to solve his own problem that means he's 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 coming from really he's coming from the customer's perspective and that's really what gets me excited as a salesperson because the reason customers spend money is to solve problems. So I know that this is a relevant problem because it's Vage has been in the space his entire career and, and that's why he built the company. So that's how I would describe our first interaction was um, it was inspiring, if that makes sense. Yeah. So tell me the way that like, 
from my seat we've I've been privy to a bunch of conversations that we had in a previous life trying to get this podcast off the ground but uh, understanding how like the audio investment plus Vedia plus JR like th- that team got put together so you know I don't need um, like dollars or equity points or anything like that but I'm just curious as to like how that group came together and maybe what some of those early group conversations were like. Yeah. Um, so Jared and I, uh, and the audio team, we connected probably, I want to say 18 months prior to even being introduced to, to Vedia. So when Jared and, and Bob formed audio, um, Jared and I were already actively talking about the space. Jared was at a private equity firm and I was at turbo and we were in, at this point, like high growth mode. So he was, he would always, obviously we have history growing up playing hockey, um, but he would always kind of pick my brain about the space. And, um, you know, he, he started getting interested in low code right around the same time I did. And when we had our first conversation about it, it was clear that we had the same perspective on the opportunity. Um, And really audio's perspective on investment is they don't want to just offer capital to an executive like they do. They want to offer, support and and they have a ton of operating experience especially in this space so it, the way it worked was jared and i connected you know 18 months prior to to getting connected with Vedia, and jared and the audio team were obviously hard at work trying to find a company uh engaging me when when things got further down the road than a first conversation um we had i had we had a few more companies before we we met Vedia that we looked at um, that we that you know the audio team was considering, um, but you know the the when when they found uh, Apps Freedom and Vedia, it was kind of like uh, fate in a, in a lot of ways because I was already out in Arizona. I happened to pick it. Um, it was exactly what we were looking for in terms of the technology stack, um, and it was really exactly what we were looking for in terms of. How, are they, how they were set up, right? They didn't spend a lot of money on sales and marketing, but they were growing like crazy. And they had, most importantly, an extremely unique differentiator on the technology side, which is really from a sales perspective, what I look for is a, a unique differentiator that, that I can compete, compete on and that solves a, a specific problem for customers. So um, it, was, it was kind of fate, the whole thing, in terms of me being in Arizona, these guys looking in low code, invade you building a company around you know a really unique specific problem and and building a company to solve his own problem which were all things that that kind of were perfect you know right place right time type of stuff got it the i guess a, a little bit of a a pivot but based on what you told me and and what i know about you correct me if i'm wrong this is the first time you've had the letter c in your title right Oh yeah. <laughs> what, what does that feel well, like? Well, it depends. It depends. It depends who you talk to. I'm, I'm, some people have called me the C word for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is the first time it's official. <laughs> What's that feel like? It's uh, it's cool. I'm not gonna lie. It's definitely very cool. Um, it's it's uh, it definitely adds a certain amount of pressure, right? Because it's not you're not you're not just a, a cog in the wheel anymore. Uh, or a cog in the machinery, you, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're owning the machinery. Um, so 
<clears throat> for me, I mean, I've always, I've always, I think I've always felt accountable to what I'm doing on a daily basis, but now it's, now it really feels like it's my baby and, and, you know, Vaja built it, but he's, he's chose me and Jared and the audio team have chose me to, to bring it to market. So, you know, that type of extreme ownership is undeniable and, and, you know, it's like anything else, right? I, I think as an, it's like, I always make the analogy back to sports, but, and, and hockey specifically, but obviously as an underclassman, you're kind of, you're part of the team, but you're not, you know, there's not that, that certain type of ownership. And it's like a certain switch goes off when you become a, when you become a, 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 senior, a junior or a senior um, where, you know, you feel responsible, not just to, to, you know, yourself and to your title, but more importantly to the entire organization. And I really, the, the C, the C level title, it's not, it, it's as cool as it is. It's really more about, um, you know, motive, motivation and, and, you know, making me realize that there's, <laughs> there's nobody else to point the finger at anymore, um, which is nerve wracking, but exciting for me. Got it. Um, so just to backpedal slightly, the audio team having the stance of, you know, we're not just going to give you a bag of money. We want, they're looking for partners where they can be a little bit more hands-on. And I got that sense from Vadia as well, but what does that look like on a day-to-day or maybe a week-to-week basis from, you know, an interaction? So you have this group that's sitting here that uh, has done this before. How does that manifest in like day-to-day activities? Well, like, like literally one of, one of our, one of our tenants as an organization is really about capital, excuse me, capital efficiency. And, and, you know, audio has been incredible around um, just support on a day-to-day basis, right? They have, um, you know, folks that, that are on Jared's team, like, uh, you know, gentleman named Ryan, who's jumped in and helped write emails and, helped been on calls and, and taking notes and, you know, uh, Bob, our chairman, um, his long career in, in, in sales and operating a business and, you know, has been incredible in bouncing ideas off around, you know, deal strategy, but also, you know, the little things like getting compliant for, you know, sock audits and stuff like that, like things that are critically important, but that you maybe not, you don't think about, but, you know, these guys have done it before and, and they can come in and, and give their advice and feedback and we can move through things quickly. Whereas, you know, if it was just me and Vajia, we're kind of sitting there figuring things out, right? So that bringing that operating experience and, you know, the leverage that they have as an investor, right? So, you know, you obviously, I had to come in and, and buy a lot of systems because they hadn't invested in systems before and, and audio already had that experience from running their own businesses and also from from their investments and in other companies. So, you know, dealing with Salesforce and Discover.org and HubSpot and things like that was was made a lot more smoother um, with the audio team kind of supporting us on that type of stuff. That's that's they're, they're I mean, they're rolling the sleeves up for sure. Got it. What do you spend most of your time doing? Top of funnel, my friend. <laughs> Take that a little further. Tell me, give me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would, I would say the first, the first two months was was largely around messaging and rebranding. Um, with you know, we were still, you know, getting busy on activity in terms of email campaigns and stuff like that. But we really, you know, we took a little bit of a pivot from a messaging perspective, renaming the company, 
Um, just trying to position ourselves in a way where it's very clear what we do and how we do it and why it's different and valuable. Um, since then, it's really been about taking that message, iterating on that message. And, and the way you iterate is by going on a bunch of first dates. So the way, and when I say first dates, that's really what I mean by top of funnel. It's, it's literally, you know, LinkedIn messaging, emailing, um, doing, we, we've done a bunch of webinars to drive uh, activity. We, we've, we've sponsored events that I've spoken at, that Vegas spoken at. I went to AWS's reInvent conference last week. And really what I'm trying to do is get in front of partners, getting in front of uh, prospects, talking about what we do, understanding what type of problems they're trying to solve, and then tweaking our message accordingly, while also driving activity. And, and, and really what we need to do is drive as much um, top of funnel from a pipeline perspective as we can so we can start to figure out what works and what doesn't work. What have you learned in some of these first dates and some of these interactions at conferences about the problems that Pillar can solve? Um, first of all, you know, confirmation that everyone has them, which is huge. Uh, but also, you know, one of the big things that I learned early on was, you know, there's a lot of companies that say they solve them. So, you know, as good as and important as having a high level, high level message is, it's also important to get tactical and get really specific about what you're good at. Right. Um, I think when you think of low code or when, when customers think of low code, it's a pretty noisy space. There's if you look at Gardner's Magic Quadrant, there's 206 companies that call themselves low code. So, you know, saying that you can help a customer develop applications faster with less people that's that's an important message, but it's not unique. Um, so what I learned pretty quickly in my conversations was we have to have a, a really unique twist on it. And and I think, you know, we've started by by meeting, spending my first 30 days really meeting with our existing customers and understanding what specific problem they bought to solve for. That helped tweak the high level message into a more tactical, executable message that we can bring to the market. And start, you know, if you look at the market as 10 bowling pins, I think we've kind of figured out what our first bowling pin is because of all these conversations we've had. And now we're continuing to iterate, but the good news is we have opportunities that are progressing into later st late stages that are, are relevant to that message that we've heard from customers. So we believe we're on the right track from a first bowling pin perspective. What's been the, the hardest part of any of this journey from your last handful of days at turbo to today? So believe it or not, um, it's, it's actually been more of the logistical stuff. I have, I have a new appreciation for sales operations that I, you know, I, I've already called the guys that I, that I used to work with at turbo and like apologize for being a dick to them a little bit because I, I didn't quite appreciate like, having a nice Salesforce report, like what it, what it can do for how you operate your business and the way you spend your time. Um, so like the logistics of that, of having your email integrated with, you know, HubSpot, um, having, um, you know, the, the, the leads that you need to put into Salesforce to do an email campaign, like the actual dot in the I's and crossing the T's of, of, you know, it's one thing to be able to sit and run a sales call. It's a whole nother thing to make sure that that sales call, the notes get into the right place, that you can look back, that you can understand what you said right that worked, what you, what you said wrong that didn't work. And you can start to 
you know, as we have more activity, it's important that we, that we test that activity against the outcomes that we're trying to drive. So if we do, if we have 40 conversations about one subject and, and those 40 opportunities don't turn into um, revenue, then we need to stop having that conversation. And I can definitely, you know, I, I have a, I believe I have a strong gut, but data never lies. And you can't, you really can't get data until you have systems. So systems has been my biggest challenge because, you know, these guys had Excel spreadsheets when I joined the company. So, um, and, and obviously you can't scale a business with, with Excel spreadsheets. So that was a lot more of a lift my first two months than I expected it to be. Uh, but now I feel a little bit better about it. We're still tweaking, but um, all the other stuff is that's the fun stuff, you know, meeting customers, you know, uh, running deals, qualifying stuff, you know, building champions, meeting new partners, building champions and partners. That's the stuff I've been doing my whole career that I love to do. I've never had to do the the day-to-day tactical system setup because it was always there. So I have a, a whole newfound appreciation for that, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, how has the team changed from us, you know, makeup standpoint from the early days when it was Apps Freedom and Vadia was – uh, you know, heads down, building things to where it is today. So Vagia was like Bugs Bunny playing baseball when I joined the company. He was throwing the ball, he was hitting the ball, he was catching the ball, and then he was running it into the mound and then throwing <laughs> it again. So um, it's changed a lot, right? When when I joined, all the guys that were selling the, the software, which was really Vagia and the head of delivery, were the same guys that built the software. So since I've joined, we've hired uh, three three folks onto my my sales org, a couple of marketing folks, a bunch of a bunch of services folks, which was you know huge to make sure that you know you you, you get your next you get your your second hundred customers from your first hundred customers. So we got to make sure that our customers right now are happy. So that's really been where we've invested has been in post sales. And then obviously a little bit in pre-sales and only because the only reason we've invested as heavily as we have in pre-sales is because we didn't have anything. Um, and, and, but even though the company was still growing, it was kind of, it was super organic. You know, what I've always told people is prior to me joining the, the product had been bought, but never sold. Right. There's never, you know, and now, now we're in a position where we're going out and we're creating opportunities versus reacting to people looking to solve a problem. Sometimes, uh, in sales, you have to educate the customer on a problem. And that's, and that's where we're at in our, in our, in our wave now is, is about getting to the market, letting them know, Hey, this problem that you have is, is actually something that you can solve in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and the, and it's a no brainer ROI. So it's been a, it's been a unique, uh, journey in, in building that team and we're tweaking it and, and iterating it. And I think next year is going to be the next, the first half of next year, will be a big time scale scale uh, window for us. I want to hit that in one second. Um, Vadia called out uh, the importance of like the customer experience. And you just mentioned, you know, you get your second hundred customers from your first hundred customers. So it kind of meshes pretty well together, but I'd like to hear from you. Um, like what is a good customer experience and how do you measure that? I, I think the, the thing that jumped out at me when I joined was, you know, at Turbonomic, I knew the top 10 customers, I knew their exact story, why they bought, 
you know, what problem they solved, how they measured that problem, and then they, how they measured the improvement. I think when I joined the company, Vedia had a really good understanding of why the customer bought from a technical perspective, but we, ha- we really have had to dig in and focus on the business outcomes that we were driving. And I personally believe that a great customer experience involves two things. Um, you're enabled on the technology, you understand, meaning the customer. As a customer, you're enabled on the technology, you understand where, why, and how it fits into your environment, and then most importantly, from a business perspective, you know the value of it. And I think, you know, we've done a decent job on the first two. We've done not a good job on the third part, which is capturing value and communicating that value. So a great customer experience. We're going to continue to get really good at training and enabling our customers to, to develop on the platform, to use the platform to build software. Uh, but we're going to get really, really, really good at documenting the business value that we capture when customers invest in us. And if, if we can do both and communicate it in a great way, that means you're going to have a great customer experience all the time because everybody feels good about the investment they made. Their team is, is using it, right? Because we, we're doing a great job enabling it. And the executives are patting the people who are using it on the back because they're clearly seeing why, why, they're, why they're, their team is using it. You mentioned the first half of 2020 being a really important scaling window. Go a little further there. Maybe tell me about, um, you know, share what you want to share, but some of the goals for the early part of next year and maybe even longer term for all of 2020. Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? Where are you going to be spending most of your energy? Yeah, I mean, I I sincerely believe that we can get to eight figures in revenue next year. Um, And a lot of that is going to involve a whole bunch of momentum in the first half of next year. Um, It involves, you know, continuing to drive um, opportunities in in our existing customer base, right? We've already got most of our revenue comes after the first sale. So so now that we've upped the level of the services team, that's going to continue to happen. But really, at, at the end of the day, um, what the first half of next year and, and really the first three months of 2020 are going to be about is getting in front of as many folks as we can, figuring out who has the problem that we solve uniquely in a differentiated way, and, and then getting those people to agree to engage with us. I think our, I, I'm guessing that our sales motion is going to take anywhere from uh, one to six months which means on the high end, if we can get a lot of first dates in January and February, we're going to be working on a lot of deals in the end of Q, Q1 and all through Q2, which, which will require an investment in more quota carrying sales reps. Which, you know, and that's what I mean by the first half of being a scale year is if we have to, it's like it has to be uh, logical in how we build. So it starts with pipeline. And then once you have pipeline and you need to close, execute against that pipeline, you need the skill set to do that. So we're going to invest in marketing. Then we're going to invest in quota carrying sales reps. And, and if, we can, if we can hit the metrics we need to on the pipeline side, it makes the second half of next year really, really easy because every deal creates momentum in the market. You know, partners start hearing about you. Um, we're going to a big partnership with AWS. We're going to lean on. Every, every opportunity we engage them on, you know, four other opportunities pop up the other side because the, the sales reps at companies like Amazon don't have just one account. So they're like, hey, I have three other customers with this problem, you know, because we've had this conversation, let's go talk to these three customers. 
So the more active, the more active uh, the first couple months of 2020 are, the the much more successful the end of 2020 is going to be, and that's why it's so critical that the the first half starts well. Has anything been surprising to you about the early days here? Um, yeah, just ex- just how relevant this technology is that Vadia built in the space for which he built it for. You know, he 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 ran a, the manufacturing practice at his old company. Um, and when he built the platform, he built to solve for certain problems that are really relevant uh, in businesses like manufacturing, not just manufacturing, but anything, uh, any asset heavy industry where, you know, you've got to enable employees that aren't necessarily knowledge workers sitting in, a, in front of a, a desktop or a laptop. Um, that's a really unique uh, use case. And what I've realized very quickly is for that asset heavy use case where your employees need mobile applications and mobile access, remote access to your core data systems, I think um, it's, it's been mind boggling to, to, re- to hear and realize exactly how relevant our solution is, is, is for these customers, right? You ask a customer, one of my tricks is, you know, hey, if you had a magic wand, forget about us, forget about the competition, what does a perfect solution look like? Um, what I listen for is them to describe our solution. And the most surprising thing has been 99% of the time when I ask them that question, it's almost like they describe our, our, our platform exactly. So that's surprising, but also super exciting. Yeah, that's pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. We're at 29 minutes here, man. Do you, uh, anything you want to sneak in? We, I think we, um, we probably should have a part two and we can uh, decide where we go from there, but anything else you want to get into this chunk? No, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, where we go over the next 12 months, but also, you know, I'm excited to, to continue to talk through it with you, Sal, because, you know, hearing, hearing myself talk about it, it makes me appreciate the opportunity that I have. And I, I, I like to be, you know, grateful for stuff. So um, I'm really excited to continue this journey and then continue kind of working with, with you to, to try to capture it as best we can. So nothing else, my friend. Awesome, man. It's been really fun for me. And it's, uh, I get to scratch and itch and hear what you guys are up to and, and learn a bit along the way. So it's been great for me too. So I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Awesome. All right. Thanks all. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye.